determine even now, whatever God tells me to do, that's what I'm going to do. I'm 100% invested in this, and I'm going to do what the Lord tells me to do through the preaching of his word, Canyon Ridge, uh, other churches here. You are in for a treat. Would you welcome my dear friend, Pastor Dean Herring? Well, I'm glad to be here. Man, isn't this beautiful? It's awesome. And I like the, I like the brown, okay? I like the brown. I like, I'd rather see a hill with no trees on it. Okay? Hey, that way nobody can protest if you cut something down. It's just, dude, it's just sagebrush. You know, just kick it out of your way. I mean, I like that. You don't have any, any tree huggers around. It's just brown, you know? Nobody ever goes out and lays on it and says, don't mess with this rock. You know, it's always a tree, so I, I like it, man. This is a beautiful place and great food, brother. Thank you. And what a camp. This is just, this is awesome, man. This is just cool. And it's, it's rugged, and, and you can sense it, and, and uh, it's manly. I love it. What a great place out in the middle of the Mojave Desert. I'm grateful. First time we saw the Mojave, my kids were with me, and they were young, and my son said to me, we passed the sign that said Mojave Desert. Now, we're, this is southern, okay, just all southern people. And my son looked at me and said, close shave, Mojave. <laughs> I said, what? He said, Mojave, the Mojave. I said, son, that's Mojave. But anyhow, you know, in, in, in southern slang, it's just the Mojave Desert, so I'm I'm glad to be right here in the Mojave, man. It's great and awesome, and it's wonderful. I, I love Bernie. I would say this to him. The In-N-Out burgers are good. Dude, the fries. No. No, no. Come on. I can eat the hamburger, but not the recycled cardboard. I just can't take that. Unbelievable. Animals? No, no, man. Not even animals eat that. Come on. Please. Why do they call it animal style? What? Man, our dogs back home would run. I mean, arr, arr. I mean, they'd be head for the hills. No. Oh my word! But uh, man, I, I'm li- listen. This is so great. Thank you guys for being here. Can I tell you this? That God knew you were going to be here, and so everything that God's going to do this week, it's going to be with you and me in mind. Now, I'll be honest with you. I came to be a blessing, but I came to get one also. And already have, and I know throughout the day and the things that will be said and done and, 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 and just, just the, the beauty. You know what? Fellowship a, is a Bible word. The world can hang together. They can have fun together. But the world doesn't understand the concept of fellowship. And I'm so glad that we can just get together and, and, and just hang out and talk and and chew the fat about whatever it is, and man, I'm just glad to be here, and thank you for this opportunity, preacher, and great to see the different churches and friends of mine that I've known for years, and, and uh, Brother Clint, it's good to see you and others. I'm just, just grateful to be here and, and uh, glad for what God's going to do. I want you to open your Bibles, and I want you to go to the book of Judges. Go over to the book of Judges, and we're going to read some scripture in uh, chapter... Number seven is going to be familiar to some of you, but what I'm going to do is read a section of scriptures, and then I'm going to sort of catch us up to date with what went on here, and then we'll, we'll try to put it all together for us, okay? So we're here in Judges chapter number seven, and we're going to read about a man by the name of Gideon, all right? Judges chapter seven and Gideon. Now, do we normally stand, Pastor? Okay, all right, so I'll just let you relax. I don't want anybody blacking out from fatigue uh, today. And so we'll just, let you, we'll just let you sit there, all right? Here we go. Judges chapter 7, verse 1. 
Then Jerubel, who is Gideon, and all the people that were with him rose up early and pitched beside the well of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand hath saved me. And now therefore go to, proclaiming the ears of the people, saying, Whosoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people are yet too many. Bring them down into the water, and I will try them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, This shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomsoever I say unto thee, This shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. And so he brought down the people unto the water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, Every one that lappeth of the water with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. And likewise, every one that boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them that lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men that lapped will I save you, and deliver the Midianites into thy hand, and let all the other people go every man unto his place. Father, would you please tonight do in this hour what we desperately need you to do. Thank you for the singing. Lord, thank you for the praying. Thank you for the fellowship. Thank you for the food. Thank you for this place, Lord, carved out in a desert wilderness, a a camp to the glory of God that bears your name, where your spirit is worked, where souls have been saved, lives have been changed down through the years. Lord, thank you for this place. Do here now in this place, with us, in our hearts, that which only you can do. May the Spirit of our God work deeply and thoroughly within us, and we'll give you the glory and the praise for all of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Now, up until the time of our text, the children of Israel had been bullied by the Midianite people for seven long years. Don't have time to go through the book of Judges but there are cycles, that the seven cycles that the children of Israel go through. And it, it, it begins where the children are living in rebellion to God and things fall apart and then God convicts them and they repent and, and then God sends a deliverer and they're happy and then in their contentment they, you know, they, 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 they go back in their contentment into rebellion to God. Can I tell you this? Can I suggest to you that maybe in the day and age in which we're living and we all know what that's like and what it's been like for the last year and a half, can I tell you that maybe, just maybe, God's going to use this to get our attention? That maybe it could be that, that things aren't so cushy. Maybe it could be that, 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 that uh, we're living in hard times and difficult times where the very things that we've taken for granted are now being called non-essential. And, 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 and people, that at one time, people that at one time never gave to church are now giving. And people that didn't attend church are now attending. And people that didn't see a need for God now are beginning to see a need for God. People that never prayed for their nation are now praying for their nation and their cities and their states. And I think that sometimes God uh, allows things in our life that, that stir us and help us become aware of our need for him. Well, that's the way it was with the children of, of Israel. 
Seven long years, the children of Israel uh, were bullied uh, by the Midianite people. Every time they would bring the harvest in, the Midianites would show up and, 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 and would pillage and loot. And let me just say this to you. The Midianites are always a type of the world, okay? You know, th- these pagan nations like Egypt and, and the Midianites and the Amalekites and, and uh, uh, all of those, they were, they're always types of the world. And let me just tell you something about the type of the world. The world will always pillage you. The world will always take from you. And the blessings that God gives, the harvest that God brings in your life, the world's going to steal it from you. Let me, let me tell you this about the world. The world never adds, it always subtracts. The world never builds, it always tears down. The world never enhances, it always destroys. And the reality of the matter is, uh, there's been so many lives that had promise and hope and, and uh, uh, God wanted to take the potential that he birthed within that person and the way that he gifted and talented them, but a little while in the world can take all that from us if we're not very careful. And so they stole the harvest, they took the sheep, they took the oxen and the, the donkeys, and, and Israel became what the Bible said was impoverished. If you go back and read uh, the, these several chapters in a row, catch that preceding chapter of chapter 6, the, the, the children of Israel became impoverished, okay? And they, they, were, they were on a fast track to being bankrupt. The blessings that God had given were taken from them, and and uh, there wasn't much left to feed their children with. And, and to make matters worse, the Midianites brought the Amalekites with them. So they, they just said, dude, look, we, we, found, we found these people down in the valley. They're good farmers, but they don't fight. In fact, they run to the hill as soon as we show up on the, uh, uh, up on the horizon uh, and they see us standing uh, silhouetted across the, uh, the, the, the ridge there. They all head to the hills. We get to go in and just pillage and take whatever we want. And it sounded like such a good deal uh, as the Midianites talked about it that the Amalekites decided to come with them. Now, what does that teach us? It teaches us that sin never rides solo. Amen. The reality of the matter is this. One sin leads to another, and that sin leads to another. And people, people, preacher, they wind up with multiple addictions. Well, where does the multiple addictions begin? With the first one. It's when we let that, when we let that sin in our life, when, when we in defiance, we, we, we get the idea that, you know, I can handle that. It's just like what he was talking about a while ago, that I, you know, I, I can, that's not going to bother. You know, I, you know I'm, I'm all right. I can deal with that. I can handle it. Worst thought that ever entered your mind. The worst thought that ever entered your mind is that you can handle a sin. What you think you can handle will wind up handling you. What you think you've got a grip on will wind up having a grip on you. And the reality of the matter is here they come. It's not one, it's two. And, 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 and uh, sin will introduce you to other sins and will, will, those sins will rob you as well. Now think about this, all right? After seven years, every harvest repeated over and over and over again, running to the hills, hiding in the caves, Stashing their children behind rocks, holding family camp out in the forest somewhere, running from the Midianites, running from the Amalekites. After seven years of that, Israel called on God. Now, let me just help you with this. That's dumb. Are you kidding me? Seven years? Why not, why not seven days? Why not seven hours? 
Why not seven? I mean, why seven years? It just shows the ignorance of humanity. And we've all been there where, where, where we should have done something and we didn't do something. And for some reason we procrastinate. It reminds me of Pharaoh uh, when the frogs uh, were infesting his land. And, and uh, Moses came to him and said, uh, okay, you want the frogs gone? When do you want me to take them? And, and he said, on, on tomorrow. How about right now? And somebody wrote a song called One More Night with the Stinking Frogs. It's a great choir special. And, I mean, can you imagine getting up at night, crushing frogs, you know, opening the refrigerator, ribbit, ribbit. I mean, everywhere you go, there's frogs and the land's infested. Well, when do you want me to take this plague from you? Uh, tomorrow. Let me have one more night with the frogs. And here these people are, and for seven years they, 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 they put up with that, and then finally they called out on God, and God sent a deliverer, and that deliverer's name was Gideon. Now, I taught high school history for over 20 years, I think 22, 23 years. And I'll tell you, I love, I love history. There's an author by the name of Cl- Tom Clavin that I like because he's Western. You know, back when I was in the in the south, on, on the eastern side of the nation, I, I grew up and played in fields where grown men died. I mean, literally, I would scoop up mini balls from Civil War battles. I've got a 12-pound Napoleon cannonball. I've got a wagon wheel off a caisson and, and belt buckles and things like that. I grew up literally playing in fields where battles were held and, 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 and just, just walking amongst cobblestone streets from our Revolutionary War. My daughter's names are Dixie. Tara and Georgia, okay? Now, if we had lived out here, it would have been Arapaho, Comanche, and Cheyenne. I mean, I, I, I love Western history. I love American history. And, and, and now that we're out here, you know, it, it's, it's fascinating to me. I read, I, I, read three, I read a book called Dodge City. I read a book called Wild Bill. And I read a book called Tombstone, all written by Tom Clavin. Sort of a trilogy there that are intertwined and, and connected. Fascinating stuff. Another book called The Heart of Everything That Is, the story of Red Cloud. And, and man, it was famous. Uh, this last summer, I went out to re- found Red C- Cloud's grave out in South Dakota, stuck off in the middle of nowhere in a little cemetery up on a hill. And just amazing. Just, I, I love it. Let me just tell you something about Gideon. He don't fit in any of those books. Here's a guy that's going to bring deliverance to the nation of Israel. And, and sometimes you get the idea, well, who's God going to call to do that? He's going to, son, he's going to, you know, Wild Bill, Wild Bill hold, uh, 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 wore his revolvers in reverse. And so the handle's sticking out this way. Son, he was bad now. Anyhow, so he, you, you know, uh, you, you read the story of Wild Bill. And, and, and you know, let me just say this. I can't stand revisionist historians. They don't ever believe, oh, he couldn't have done that. No, you know, they say that Wild Bill killed over 100 men in man-on-man battle, and there's, there's some ideas. One time it was seven men, and he's in a gunfight and incredible stuff. But people, you know, they doubt all that today. We're such a negative society. And, and, and so here's Wild Bill. I mean, he's deadly accurate. Uh, Abilene was a cowboy town where where it was just absolute lawlessness. They brought Wild Bill in. After he had been there a little while, they said that when he walked out of his office, people quit talking. I mean, he, Wild Bill walks out on the street, and the whole street gets quiet. I mean, he's just, he just had that type of a presence, and, and uh, he, just, he, he just cleaned it up, and he was just a, he was a gunfighter extraordinaire. 
that ain't Gideon. Okay? I'm just, I'm drawing a comparison. This isn't the John Wayne guy. This isn't the guy that walks around calling people pilgrim. Okay? This is a guy that you, that, that, that you find basically timid in, in hiding uh, from, from the Lord and, and had no, he had no preconceived ideas that he was going to be the leader. He wasn't something that he was looking for or volunteering for. And, uh, and so when God called him, we find him in, in, in timidity. Now, what I, love about, what I love about Gideon, and we talk about the fleece, and I, I, you know, I like what, I like what G, G. Campbell Morgan said. It's not that Gideon was a coward. It's that Gideon had, had double distrust of himself. It's not, it's not that it was double doubt of God. It was double doubt. It was double distrust of himself. It's not that, God, I don't think you can do it because he did go into battle. It's that, God, I don't think that I am good enough or qualified enough. I need you to show me twice that you would choose to use someone like me. And so having been assured by God, there were some tests standing with his family and somebody, you know, he tore, down a, he tore down an idol that his dad had and man, he was confronted by his family and had to, you know, he, he sacrificed the bullock and there's a lot of things going on there between his walk with his God and his walk with his family and now he's got some things leveled together and, 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 and he's been assured by God that he's going to, uh, God's going to use him to bring victory and so here's Gideon, he stands up and he blows the trumpet and 32 2,000 men gather with him. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that type of a leadership? Here's this man, and he blows the trumpet, and he's calling it for battle. He's calling it to go forth, and 32,000 men come stand by him. Man, that's, I mean, hey, that's pretty impressive. Until you look across the battlefield, and there's 135,000. And in that comparison, which, you know, we, we fall into as humans sometimes, and Satan always is, is trying to take whatever God gives us and make it seem less. And it's 135,000 against 32,000 men. Can you imagine? Could you, could you just pick, Look, it's black ink on white paper. But there's color all in this. I'm, I'm talking vibrant color. When you look, don't don't just read it, feel it. Gideon, I mean, it just it just wasn't cut and dried. Gideon's a human being. Okay, thirty-two thousand. This okay. Well, this looks good, and we've got God on our side. There's one hundred thirty-five thousand of them, but I'm grateful for every one of you, men. And then God says to Gideon, "It's too many." I think Gideon said, God, that's my bad ear. <laughs> Would you repeat that? And God says to Gideon, it's, 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 it's too many. You've got, by the way, from a military standpoint, that's not possible. Too many soldiers? No, I'll take some more, okay? Just to cover all of the bases. And, 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 and so, though the Bible doesn't uh, record Gideon's reaction to this, I think it's important that we not forget that what transpires from this point on transpires for one reason. Gideon had already settled who was in charge. 
It was God. I mean, he wrestled, fleece on the ground, slaying the bullock, tearing down his daddy's idol, facing his family, telling them what God had called him to do. And now all of a sudden, after waving through all that, here's this timid man. Here's this timid man that had no desire to be the general, had no desire for leadership. But now the call of God is upon his life, and he stands up, and he's ready to go forward for God, regardless of what God says to him, because he made up his mind that God was in charge. Boy, I'm grateful that when I was 17 years old and surrendered my life to, to preach the Word of God, I'm glad I didn't know everything. Okay, I didn't know everything was going on. I didn't know, I didn't know when I surrendered. See, see, it was back then, it was back then, actually it was before, it was before I surrendered to preach, I, I gave my life to Christ. I was saved at the age of 12, but I had not yielded myself. But, but, but as a 16-year-old boy, I, I made my mind up that I was going to surrender my life to obey and to follow and do whatever God called me to do. And that led to the call to preach, and that led to the ministry. And it led me all these years later at the age of 50 to move to Idaho. And I didn't know that when I moved to Idaho that, that, that I was going to bury two of my grandchildren on Idahoan soil. I'm glad I didn't know that. But I'm also glad that I made a decision back then that God was in control and that whatever, whatever we were talking, Brother Justin, whatever storms come in my life and, and I can see them raging, I'm not going to turn and run from the storm. By the grace of a good God, God will get me through the storm for His glory. Now, I want to look at this and let's just break it down. First of all, let's look at the men for a moment. We talked about Gideon. Let me talk to you about the, about the 32,000 that were gathered there. First thing I want you to notice about this group of men is that some were fearful. Some of them were fearful. So God tells to Gideon, here, here it is, all right, think of this now. Here's Gideon, 32,000. God said, all right, here, we got to whittle this down. It's too many. Because if, if you go with this many, Israel's going to say, look what we did. Yeah, man, uh-huh. You want, you want us? Come on. You know, and God said, no, you're not going to trash talk. There's no time to trash talk because you ain't got nothing to trash talk about. They will crush you if it's just you and them. So I'm going to send some people home. Here's what I want you to do, Gideon. I want you to tell, I want you to tell this group of men that, that, that everyone who is afraid <laughs> can go home. Now I want you to get the picture, all right? 32,000 men. They're all standing there. Gideon says, all right, I got, I got an announcement from God. He's thinking, what 10 of you cowards are going to leave me? You yellow barrelled, sorry, no count, low down, scoundrel, wimp, sissies. I mean, I, I don't know what he's calculating is going to happen in his mind. Nobody moves a muscle. It's like the line in the sand drawn by Colonel Travis at the Alamo. Who's going to cross? You know, when it wound up, will all the men cross? They said Crockett crossed first, and they all do. Well, this is a reverse line. He's drawing the line and said, who wants to leave? Nobody moves a muscle. They're looking at each other. And then one man, one man steps across the line. 
and 21,999 followed him. One man. One man said, I'll give in to my fears. One man said, I will admit I'm afraid. One man said, my God, is it big enough for the Midianites and the Amalekites? I'm going home. One man. And 21,999 turned their backs on their comrades, their brothers, and walked away. Now, I want you to listen to me, guys. Please, if, if maybe you don't get anything else, I hope you'll get this out of this message. No one has a neutral impact on a church. Nobody. 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 Not one single person. You can't. Well, sorry, you, you don't. So, so well, wait a minute. Brother Dean, God said that they're lukewarm. And yeah, what did God say? I'm going to spew them out of my mouth. Why would he spew them out? Because they're having a negative effect. Even people that claim to be neutral and lukewarm, and I'm, not, I'm, I'm certainly not causing any trouble in the church. No, no, that's, that's a negative effect on the church. Nobody has a neutral impact on a church. We either, we either add to the church or we subtract from it. We either we bring in a positive spirit or a negative spirit. We either encourage or we discourage. Nobody has a neutral impact upon the church. Listen, I, I would beg you as men, I would beg you that, 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 that you get behind the man of God that God has placed there. Look, it, it, it was God that put him there. It was God that put him there. Get behind your pastor and stand with him. Unless he's in some sort of doctrinal or moral uh, uh, heresy, for Pete's sake, don't argue with him over, over the, 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 the building and, and over the color and over the carpet and over the lights and over the ministries. That's not your job. Your job is to get behind him and go forward and push forward. You read about the great leaders in world history, Napoleon, Patton, Jackson, men that made their mark as, as great leaders. Do you, know, do you know what those men did? They didn't, they didn't win one singular battle by themselves. They won battles because men followed them and stood with them. And so we've got 22,000 men that allow their fears to determine their direction. Their, their faith became paralyzed by their fears. And, 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 and by the way, fear always follows the crowd because it doesn't have the courage to stand alone. And it always takes the path of least resistance. Fear always takes the easy way out. And fear is contagious. God's given you a man of God to lead you and... And, 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 and he's trying to uh, move the church forward. And, and, and he's maybe bringing out some things that are maybe a little bit, you know, risky. Well, welcome to the work of God. And, and, and he wants to press forward in a building program or buying some property or adding a ministry and, and doing more outreach. And, and, and everybody's sitting there and one guy says, well, you know what? Preacher, I, I just don't know that this is the right time. Really? 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 I got an idea. Look, I just got an idea that, that God's probably going to speak to your pastor. 
And if God speaks to your pastor, it probably is the right time. Probably is. We're not talking about lording over people. We're talking about, it, we're talking about how that God works in the lives to move people forward. Here's Gideon. Gideon's going to battle. 22,000 walk away because one guy turns back. And rather than, rather than standing up and living as free men, 22,000 would rather live in bondage. Now, I want you to listen to this statement. Look, look, look at that, okay? Strong men's retreat. When the 22,000 walked away, there were less people there, but there weren't less men. Bring out your calculator. You know, Brother Ferg, have somebody count the heads. And there are less people, but there's not less men. It's been whittled down to, to, to the real men. And, and, and 12 spies were sent into Canaan, uh, but only two, only two of the 12 believed that there was a God that could give them what God had promised them to do. Be on those two. I'd rather be of the two than of the ten. Of all the Jews in Babylon that, 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 that uh, uh, were there, uh, only three refused to bow to the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And while the entire army sat in foxholes and speculated on the spoils of war, it was only one singular shepherd boy that said, Who is that? Are you kidding me? Who is that? Uncircumcised Philistines that challenges the, 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 the armies of the living God. Who is this guy? His brother put a cigarette out, walked up, and, and said, uh, Hey, who's this punk kid here? Who is this kid that, that's running his mouth? Who is he? He's my punk brother. That's who he is. Go back to the few sheep that your father's given you, boy. I know the naughtiness of your heart. You know what David said to him? Nothing. You know why? He wasn't going to waste his breath. He wasn't going to waste his breath. Can I tell you this? Anytime we attempt to do something in faith, it always appears to be foolishness to those that are living in the flesh. Always. I'm going to do something. I'm, I'm going I'm to live by faith. And then somebody pipes up and says, that's foolish. That's foolish. Yeah. You know what? No, you're carnal. You're carnal. Faith always appears foolishness to people that are living in the flesh. They're always the ones to mouth off, always the ones to make the first vote, always the ones to, 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 to turn a negative on it. And, 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 and the reality of the matter is we've got to decide whether we're going to live by faith or by fear, and faith will help you move beyond your fears, or fear will strangle your faith. So here's the first group, 22,000. <laughs> They were afraid. So, man, they packed it up, and they headed home. Can you imagine them meeting their son? Uh, Dad, did y'all win? Well, I didn't fight, son. Honey, you got supper ready? Well, wait a minute. Where's everybody at? I thought you were off to war. Well, I mean, come on. You can crow all you want to. You know, <laughs> I tell our guys, I said, look, do me a favor when you're roosting at the foot of your bed. Uh, please don't tell your wife the preacher said. Amen. You idiot, you're getting me 
in the place where you should be. Don't do that. I cut up with my guys all the time. I mean, look, if you've got, it, look, if this is the only leverage you've got, the pastor said so. Like, that's a waste, man. You got, don't, hey, no, no, don't, don't drag me in your pocket. You, you earn your leadership there. Take a stand and be strong. So they were fearful. Here's the second group. Some were fearful, but some were foolish. And so here he is now, okay, starts out with 32,000, 22,000 leaves. Now, I want to say this to you and be transparent as I can be immediately. I did not care for math. I loved history. I think that the only reason why there should be math in school is to count the dead bodies to find out who won the battle. Okay, that's... Why else do you need math? But anyhow, so, so with, with, with my limited knowledge of math, I can figure out that, 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 that the, uh, uh, he's facing an army of 135,000 people now, not with 22,000, but with 10. Well, that's, that's not good. By no stretch of the imagination is this through, but God's not through whittling yet. And he tells Gideon, there's still too many. I want you to go down to the water, and I want you to, I want you to have them take a drinking test, and I'm going to sit down. And so the enemy, the enemy is near, and the battle could erupt at any moment. And, I mean, things were tense. You could feel it in the air. And so he sends, he sends these 10,000 down, and they go down. And, and, and 300 of them kneel down by the water because there's the Midianites and the Amalekites. And so they scoop up water and they're watching. And they're scooping up water and they're watching. They're keeping their eye up. They're watching the, 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 the oldest military move in history, the flanking movement. Everybody, they've got them spread out there watching. But, but 9,700 got down on all fours, stuck their face down with their heads pointing toward the enemy and drank water. And God said, them boys, they're going home. Why? They weren't afraid. No, dude, those, those were men. They're of the 10,000. These are the guys, these are the guys when the, when the fearful went home, when the guys with the yellow streak down their back went home, these guys stayed. Well, why would you send home brave men? Why, why would you send them home? You know what our problem is? Here's our problem. And Look, I grew up in this, talking about boxing. My dad boxed, both my brothers boxed. One of my brothers was was a middleweight champion in his fleet in the Navy. My other brother had professional fights in the Savannah Civic Center. We grew up with neighborhood boxing teams. I grew up boxing my whole life. My son uh, was offered a position with the with the Hollyfield uh, boxing group in Atlanta. I I I breathe it. I love it. I I don't think it's spiritual. I don't think it's good. But as long as they do it, I'm watching. I mean that's. Yes, why would you beat on the temple there? I don't know, but I'm watching. If two f- dogs get in a fight, I'm watching. I'm going to tackle the lady that's trying to break them up. Let's let, them, let's let this thing finish out and work its way out here. But here's what we do. This is what we do. Here, look at me. Here's what we all Hey, I ain't running. You want some of me? I'll tell you where you can find me. You can find me right here. If you think I'm going home with the 22,000, I'm not going home with the 22,000. You won't have to look for me far. I'll be right in front of you, boy. If you want some of me, you come now. 
We're proud of our maleness. But we trust sometimes in our maleness. We train our boys to grow up to be men, but we don't teach them how to be Christians. And we're more concerned ourselves sometimes with, 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 uh, uh, with, with our machoism and, 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 and sometimes our, uh, our, our ability to, to, to stand. And, and uh, we, we're, you know, we, we're not with the cowards. We're not with the 22,000. 22, we're not fearful, but we're not faithful either. We're not fearful, but we're not faithful either. Let me say that again. We're not fearful, but we're not faithful either. You can sit at home on Sunday morning when, when, when God has commanded us to be in the house of God, and you can sit there in your house. Bless God, you're a man. I mean, you're tough as nails. You can work hard all week long. You can face down whatever you have to face down. You can crow the loudest. You can raise your voice. You can point your finger. You can claim to be the head of your home. But the reality of the matter is, though we're not fearful, we're foolish. Why? Because we trust in our maleness somehow as a badge of honor and God's not just looking for men that aren't afraid God's looking for men that aren't foolish now what is foolish then well what did they do they got on all fours brother Ferg they exposed themselves to an enemy be sober be vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour study that word devour you know what it means it means literally to gulp down to swallow and man i'm going to tell you i've prayed beside guys just like we had prayer here tonight that are no longer in the work of god no longer serving god their life has been shredded you know why because they got down on all fours in their night in their life and 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 they turned they they turned a blind eye they turned a blind eye to the adversary and they got on their computer uh, and, and they, they, they trusted them. They trusted their mail. I, I, look, I can handle this. No, no, no. You can't. And they trusted, they trusted their, their, their discipline and their maleness. And it came through a computer or a, or a, or a, a platonic relationship on the job and let it, letting down our guard and something happened and, 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 and through a cell phone or something that took them down the line. And they were destroyed by the adversary. Watch ye, 1 Corinthians 16, verse 13. Watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. Second, 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. Therefore let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. So these men were filled with maleness, but they weren't filled with the Spirit. And, and, and can I just say this? Look at me, guys. Listen to me. Just listen. I, I started preaching when I was 17 years old. I'm 66 now. Can I tell you something over those years of ministry? Can I tell you absolutely with no hesitancy whatsoever that foolishness has destroyed more men than fear has? More men have been destroyed by foolishly not listening to the warnings of God and exposing ourselves to the enemy you think you can handle it, but you're not any match for Satan whatsoever. 
We have to walk with God and trust God. Third of all, let me show you the, 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 the last group I want to talk about, and, and that's the 300 that were left, and that's really the crux of the message. Can I, so, so how many is left? 300. So who defeated the Midianites and the Amalekites? I mean, 135,000. Who was it that defeated them? 32,000, no. Uh, 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 22,000, no. Who defeated them? Who defeated them uh, was, was the 300 that was left after the 9,700 uh, turned their, their, their deaf eye to the, uh, to the enemy. God said, those 300, Gideon, see them, count them. 300. That's who I'm going to whip those boys with. God doesn't need an army to accomplish great things for him. Our problem is that we equate strength with numbers when we should equate strength with God. See, Church isn't healthy by, by, by its size necessarily. It's healthy by, by its walk with God. Not by might, Zechariah 4, 6, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. And, and, and we've got to get to the place to where we realize that 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 it is our walk with God that is our protection and safety. Pastor mentioned that I, uh, I ride an Indian. It's a, it's a 2014 Chief Vintage. I'll show you a picture of it. And it's, it's in my favorite folder there with my grandkids, okay? <laughs> love them both. Man, I love my bike. I just love it. It's a gift from God, by the way. And, and I mean that seriously. God literally gave me exactly what I prayed for and wanted. Then I had, a, had some folks that took it and painted it for me when I had COVID and painted it exactly like I wanted. I love it. It's my, it's my vacation. It's, it's wind therapy. When I'm tight and things are up, I can hop on it, get the face in my wind and ride, and boy, it just seems to relax everything. The idea that, that people that ride motorcycles are of a criminal element was quite popular back in the 40s and back in the 50s. And so in, in, in the early 60s, the AMA, the American Motorcycle Association, decided that they wanted to destroy that stereotype that all bikers are, there. I mean, if, if he's on a motorcycle, run, hide the kids, you know. And so they, they, they put a... Um, they, they put a bulletin out or, 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 or newspaper ad out asserting that 99% of motorcyclists were law-abiding citizens. Okay, that means 1%. It's only 1% that's the outlaw element, the hell's angels and the outlaws and the banditos and the pagans. I had, a, I had two friends that rode with the outlaws and the warlocks and, and uh, the, you, you know, uh, they're a part of the one percenters. And so they saw this article like everybody else did, and they said, yeah, that's us. That, that's us. We are the one percenters. Now let me help you with this, okay? If you've got a Suzuki 125 dirt bike and a leather jacket, do not. Trust me, do not put on your jacket a diamond with one percent in the middle, Okay? <laughs> All they will find is your 125 Suzuki dirt bike. Okay. You won't have anything to hang the jacket on after that. Okay. It's not good. Look, they take it serious. You know what the 1% means? I'll die. The 1% means this is my turf. You kidding me? You're wearing those colors on my turf? I'll kill you. The 1% means I'm not playing. 
The 1% means I'm serious. The 1% means I'm all in. The 1% means, listen to me, I, I have committed myself to this cause, and I'm going to tell you right now, if you want to test my commitment, I'll meet you for that test anywhere you want to call it. I'll get some friends if I have to. I am a one percenter. And that's been proven all over America, especially in places like Toronto where the big motorcycle wars have been. And, and I've witnessed to some guys, and I, I'm just going to tell you, they're in it for the long haul. They'll do whatever it takes to whoever it takes to prove their seriousness for their club. Do you know what happened when Gideon's 32,000 was whittled down to 300? you know what it left? 1%. You know what I think sometimes? I think that God's looking for some one percenters, preacher. I mean, I told our people when we, when we planted our church years ago, I said, hey, look, look at me, listen to me. If you can take church or leave it, sooner or later you will leave it. No, 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 listen, listen, I understand where you're at. I know you love us, and I know you're glad you're here, and I know you're thankful for what we've done, and I know you're glad that, that we're a part of your life. But if you can take church or leave it, you will mark it down. You will leave it. And almost 16 years later, that statement has proven to be true. If, if, if you walk away from your church for a family reunion, preacher, it's a really nice day, and I want to go down to, okay, but if, if, you'll, if you'll go down to the beach well, God's not asking for all of your time, but all of your time is His. He's asking you to give Him a segment of your time because you know what your time is? It's the stuff that life is made of. So God is asking you to give, you, give Him some of your life that He's given you. And I, I think we've got to get to a place to where we're willing to be as serious at least as the one percenters are about their motorcycle club. The typical American congregation draws an adult crowd that is 61% female. On any given Sunday, there are 13 million more women in church than men. Every Sunday, 25% of married church-going women will, will worship without their husbands. Midweek services and activities are made up to 70 to 80% of, of female uh, uh, participants. 90% of the boys who are being raised in church will abandon it by their 20th birthday. That's tragic to me. Good night. Where are the one percenters? I, I, I mean, men that aren't afraid to step up to the plate and be the spiritual leader in their home. Men that, like Joshua would say, as for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. Men that, that aren't afraid to take a stand for Christ on the job, even if it means standing alone. Men that aren't so foolish as to use their maleness as a substitute for godly manhood. Men, men that, 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 that are not so foolish as to drop their guard and expose themselves to the attack of Satan. Men that are faithful in their daily God and I time. The bread and butter stuff that the Christian life is made of. Guys, get in. Get in. Not one foot. Get in. Get all in. Jesus is coming back. We're going to stand face it. Look, and, and you, you can have all the excuses in the world, but when you stand before him, you know, the, you know the thing on this earth that Christ gave his blood for? He died for the church. And yet we've got things in our life that we have determined are more important than the very institution that he left us. 
God's looking for one percenters that will stand faithful when it seems like 22,000 have walked away and 9,700 are living foolishly. God's looking for one percent faithful men that will make their mark for God. May the 15th, 1864, General John C. Breckinridge, the youngest man to ever be elected vice president of the United States, was now a major general in the Confederate Army. He was facing an incredible decision that had to be made that day. Our nation was at war with itself. We were struggling over issues that, that to be quite frank with you, let me just tell you from a history teacher's viewpoint, that was handed down from generation to generation. Listen, if our founding fathers, who I love, if our founding fathers had manned up and faced the issues and, and done the right thing, in this time, our nation wouldn't have been ripped asunder. It was their job. No, no, no. Come on now. Let me just give you a history lesson. When Thomas Jefferson penned the words that all men are created equal outside his window, working his fields, were human beings that he did not consider to be equal. That's, right. That's the truth. Yes, and when he wrote the original draft of the Declaration of Independence, he had included in it words that blamed King George for the slavery that our nation was guilty of. And when he brought it before the men and they read that original doctrine, they said, this is ridiculous, that document, they said, this is, we can't blame it, this is ridiculous. It was ridiculous. It was our sin was our fault. And here on these battlefields, quite honestly, men that, that, men, that weren't, men that weren't responsible for the moving and shaking, shaping of a nation, they were just fighting over their hometowns and their states, and they didn't even know, many of them, what the battle was all about. Breckenridge had just issued a request for the Virginia Military Institute to bring the boys for the battle at Newmarket, Virginia. The 17 and 18 year old boys that had been training, they were all gone. They had been called out much earlier. The only thing left were, were some 16 and 15 and 14 year old boys in a, in a military institute. They were just kids. But the breadbasket of the Confederacy, the Shenandoah Valley, was going to be lost if somebody didn't do something. And so the order was given, bring the boys from the military institute to Haymarket. Jefferson Davis sent him an urgent message, and it was this, simply these words, do not, sir, grind the seed corn of our country. The seed corn, that's all we've got to reproduce who we hope to be. If you kill those boys... We have nothing left. If you could read their names there. The boys that came. The 15 and 14 year old boys that came. One of those boys was Thomas Garrison Jefferson. The grandson of Thomas Jefferson. One of those boys bore his grandfather's name, Patrick Henry. They were going to, they were going to join up with Colonel George S. Patton, a graduate of VMI and the grandfather of old blood and guts George, World War II fame. 
And there in that battle at Newmarket, there was a microcosm of America's past and their present. And the seed corn went to do their job. Worn, ragged men, 4,000 men in Breckenridge's infantry, no match for Franz Siegel's 10,000 just well-equipped, rested veteran men who boasted the strongest military division in the war. And General Grant, his entire idea was in this battle we could cripple the Confederacy. And so Breckenridge decided these 257 cadets, he would put them in the third colonnade. I don't want them going to the battle. We had to call them. I don't want them there. They had, they, they, they had just marched 84 miles to get there. Kids, boys, 84 miles, they show up exhausted and fatigued, and yet these ragged, these ragged men in front of them, the first two colonnades are shredded. They're shredded. The third colonnade now steps forward. The boys of VMI in Breckenridge hesitated. The majors around him are pleading with him, Dear God, General, if you don't let these boys go, we're gone. If we don't win this battle, then we have nothing left. And, and it said that Breckenridge, till the day of his death, when he recalled this moment, that his eyes welled with tears. And so on that day, with tears coursing down his cheeks, Breckenridge made this command, as it was recorded by his adjutant that was there, send in the boys. And may God forgive me for giving this command. And so those 14 and 15-year-old boys stood there looking out across the first battle of their life. The first enemy soldiers they had ever actually, they had trained, but they had never really looked across. And one kid yelled at the top of his lungs, let's go boys. And they took out running the fields were wet, and many of them lost their shoes. And so barefoot boys are, are, are running. Cadet, Cadet O.P. Evans made it to the Union lines first, climbed up on a cannon, raised his rifle above his head, and shouted, follow me, boys. And all those boys ran after him. And it's so startled, it so startled those veteran soldiers of Franz Siegel's that 10,000 Union troops in a state of shock and awe turned and ran. 257 boys won the battle. Breckenridge got on his horse, weeping as he rode. And when he approached those cheering kids gathered around those cannons, this is what he said to them. Well done, Virginians. Well done, men. Now, here's the reality. You know what happened to me? I was a kid. It doesn't really matter how old I was physically. What matters is that spiritually, wherever we enter this, we're spiritually immature. We're kids. But, but through the battles... Through the challenges that we come in in life, God wants to take us from where we entered this, 15 and 16, 
and 14-year-old cadets to where one day we'll hear his voice. Well done, men. Well done. But you don't do that by being fearful. And you don't do that by being foolish. You hear that by being faithful. Let's bow our heads. Could we do that? Now you may be here lost. Just lost. Uh, you've been to church. You've done some good things. But if you died today, you don't really know you'd go to heaven. You're not sure. You got doubts. And you've slept with those doubts and you've tried to talk yourself out of those doubts, but they're there. And right here in this place, out in the Mojave Desert, God is saying to you, I want to save you. That's how I died. I died for you. If you'd been the only person on earth and no one else around, Jesus would have died just for you. If you're here today and you say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. Here's my hand. Pray for me. Would you just lift it up quickly? Here's my hand. Pray for me, Preacher. I'm not sure I'm saved. Don't know if I die today, I'd go to heaven. Here's my hand. Would you just pray for me that I'll get this settled before we leave this place, before it's too late in my life? Anybody like that? Just an uplifted hand quickly and back down. Pray for me, preacher. Pray for me. How many of you would say, Brother Dane, God spoke to my heart somehow in this message. There's, there's, there's a message in it for me. I know what it is. I've, I've been fearful. I've been foolish. And I want to be faithful. I, I want God, I want God Take me from being a cadet and turn me into a man for his glory. Would you lift your hand? All right, here's what we're going to do. We're going to stand to our feet. and Why don't we do that? Just stand to your feet where you are. You, you may want to kneel where you're at. Man, there's, there's room up here. If you want to come kneel around, help yourself. Just, just, just do whatever. Find yourself a place. If you need to talk with your pastor, would you go to him? Just go to your preacher.